One, one exciting thing that I will talk about is that, um, I did a TED talk, a TEDx talk last year, and it just got released. It got released on December 22nd, which is sort of like a crappy time to have your TEDx talk released because it sort of yeah. gets swallowed up by Christmas. Mm. So I was feeling grumpy about that, but the talk's really cool. It includes a circus performance and a discussion of grief by me. Welcome to the Innovative Founder. The show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Rignaris and Brandon Boyd. Welcome, innovative founders. Happy hey, hey. It is 2023, just to uh, date this particular episode, just because I feel like I need to. Hope everyone is uh, in, enjoyed their we're, holiday. Bob, did you do anything? Did you stay up late and drink a lot of champagne and dance? We're we're giving we're giving people a window into the world of podcasting, which means we uh, we record these episodes and then release them in the future. So, right. Brandon and I are very industrious young boys. We are. Um, we are. We are. We are stacking episodes up because we have so many people that uh, want to be interviewed. We don't say no to many people. So. Um, yeah, we're recording this two days after New Year. Um, no, I uh, I barely drank anything. I think I had a old fashioned yesterday, but mm. um, I've been kind of off alcohol. I've been off dairy. I'm, like nice. I'm eating meat and vegetables. Lost twenty seven pounds and nice feeling a little bit better. It's awesome. Working with my practitioner, trying to get to the source of some of these histamine issues. So, yeah, yeah, yeah like getting inflammation out of your body is is a it's a it's a big sacrifice, but the benefits seem to be paying off a little bit. I'm lighter, I'm feeling better, good, you know, all those things. So, yeah, unfortunately, alcohol is just one of those things, you know, um, that you cut out. It's fun to drink, but like I get it it affects you so I, i've I cut it. it out and it's been pretty good i get it and and you know i've talked about this in the past you know it's 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 it, it all goes back to how you feel and and i yeah, i love yeah. drinking bourbons and tequilas and and you know i used to drink wine in the week i don't do that anymore and i'll have a cocktail maybe in the weekend if i do i'll take some charcoal pills with it just to minimize oh. absorption yeah just but it's 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 it's, it's just it became a social habit. And now it's just like, boy, but I feel so good when I don't. And I know, and then I, I'll take a drink and I'll notice how sensitive my body is to it. Like I'll get a headache. And like a, Well, that's the thing is now yeah. when you, when you eliminate something like, so, yeah. you know, I've eliminated a lot of sugar, right? Mm -hmm. So as soon as you take it in, right. So you have mm -hmm. that drink or you eat something sweet, like your body's like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were done with this. <laughs> and you could see the effect it has like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll sleep terrible or my stomach will be in knots or yeah, amazing headache or sinus issues. It's just, you know, what I'm finding is I'm much more sensitive to those things and cutting them out. You know, it's, it's like you're, you're recovering from whatever it was, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a little bit of a sacrifice, but you start to see a little bit of the benefits. You're like, okay, it was kind of worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, um, uh, we, what we did is, yeah, we went to, we went to bed at one 30 in the morning. We got up at, at six 30 and went golfing on New Year's day. We had nice. no snow on the ground in Chicago. Ooh. So, so we got three rounds of golf in, in nice. the middle of winter in Chicago. So I love it. It's fantastic. Perfect. And Oh, by the way, um, yesterday I shot my best round ever 13 over par. So like <laughs> I was, I was a badass for nice. sure. Yesterday. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. So all that work, all that money, finally, finally start to see some benefit. Yeah, that step closer to your professional career in golfing. You're just yeah. Just closer. think if I if I can like uh, take another like twenty strokes off my score, I might be able to uh, 
like just let you run feed stories on your own. I'll just okay. Go, I'll just go golf. I'm gonna hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> Join the senior tour. Yeah, the see yeah, yeah. So uh, well, I'm loving our guest today, Dr. Sherry yeah. Walling. Uh, what a delightful, delightful conversation that was. Um it's surprise, surprise. We got talk. We talked about psychedelics again. Yeah, my favorite topic <laughs> because that's what I did on New Year's. So I was invited to go to some parties and lots of people and drinking and dancing. I'm like, yeah, okay, there's a space for that. But I, I got with one of my very best friends, um, and will probably be on this podcast at some at some point. And we did a mushroom ceremony. So it's kind of this. It's kind of a little space we create and we we take a certain amount of of, of mushrooms and uh, kind of meditate and uh, work on stuff and conversate uh, and it was quite an amazing experience so we we we, we call it a journey and we journeyed in the new year uh, and quite fascinating quite fascinating and lots of fun so well all of us have our traditions and ways to end and start a new year so yeah. that's awesome and it looks like you got some color on your tattoo I did. Yes. Five and a half hours. Got some color on the tattoo. I've got probably 10, 15 hours left. So, but yeah, got some of that done. Excited about that. Are you posting that anywhere that people could see the progress? Um, not really. I guess I could. I took a few photos. I guess I could. Okay. But yeah, got the, got the giant, the Kraken and the Firebird getting the work done. Cool. Well, you got to put, we got to post that somewhere so people could see the progress. Okay. That'd be, that'd be yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful work this this guy's doing. Yeah, pretty intricate designs. Looks like yeah. it's going to take a while, but that's, in the end, it's going to be a pretty good uh, piece. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, so we, we definitely uh, want you to, um, it's going to be interesting. Um, uh, Dr. Sherry Walling deals with entrepreneurs and some of the, the, the mental health issues that they over, you know, face, the challenges they face. And there's a parallel, uh, some loose parallels, but pretty, you know, pretty good parallels between the work that she did with soldiers returning from war mm -hmm. and some of the characteristics of entrepreneurs. Um, I think you'll be fascinated by that. So uh, we'd love to introduce you, our, our guest today, Dr. Sherry Walling. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Sherry Walling. We're so excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I think we're going to have a good time. You got the doctor in right away. I did. I had to make sure I said doctor. She is a doctor, but we're not going to say that through the whole thing because it'll you don't have to emphasize make it kind it. of stiff and, <laughs> and we, we want this to be friendly and not so formal. But Sherry, Sherry needed to know. We need to know that Sherry's a doctor because you she's do a know that about awesome me. Okay. doctor. Um, we're going to get into the awesomeness of, of Sherry here today. But first, what we need to know, she's calling in from the metropolis of Minnesota um, in, in kind of a winter. What is this? What month are we in? We're in January. Well, um, we're filming. Yeah, we're filming in January. We'll probably this will probably go up for distribution in March or April. But by so then, it'll everything be snowing then. it'll still it'll, be snowing. It'll be snowing. Yeah. Right, right. So coming from California, we know this about you, Sherry. What is it like living in like this Midwest kind of a gray, snowy gritty area of, of Minnesota. Tell us about your experience. Yeah. So yeah, born and raised in California. And I actually really love Minnesota, <laughs> much to my surprise. <laughs> I moved here. Uh, my husband sold his company to a company here. And part of that deal was for us, for him. And then I just included myself to be on site for one year. And, um, we did that. It was, there was a certain amount of money that made that seem like totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. um, to my surprise, like, I really love it here. Um, it's a place that's, it's sort of like if Chicago and Seattle had a baby, like yeah. it's very outdoorsy, but it's kind of foodie and mm. it's a very progressive city in the Midwest, which, um, you know, kind of matters to me. Mm -hmm. So it's been a good spot. Good. That's, That's good really good. That's good to hear. So Sherry, tell us. I had to get us... an all-wheel drive car, though. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> like an imperative. That's yeah, like yeah. a necessity and one that right. repels salt and, and all that right. other stuff, too, right? Yeah. Right. And with, like, a heated steering wheel and, like, a heated oh, seat, like, go. all yes. this stuff. I never understood that, those, like, features yeah. before from California. I was like, oh. why the hell do you need that? That's stupid. And now. <laughs> you now can't I live can't without it. Back. Oh, warm tush in the morning. Do you have a remote start, too? Do you have, like, Oh, yes. A, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Of course. Why would I, you know? 
all the right. necessities. So, all of it. okay. Well, cool. Besides the awesomeness of Minnesota, what what's exciting for you right now? Personal life, business business life, anything? What what are you most excited about? Oh my gosh, you guys! There's a there's a lot that I'm excited about. Um, one one exciting thing that I will talk about is that um, I did a TED talk, a TEDx talk last year, and it just got released. It got released on December 22nd, which is sort of like a crappy time to have your TEDx talk released because it sort of yeah. gets swallowed up by Christmas. Mm. So I was feeling grumpy about that, but um, the talk's really cool. It includes a circus performance and a discussion of grief by me. Okay. Yep. Okay. Keep going. Well, dig in. It's, dig in. What's it's the, called what's Why the, a Grieving yeah. a Psychologist. What are, what are we talking here? <laughs> I know? am sort of a lion tamer. That's actually a really good way for me to talk about my day job. But okay. my TED Talk includes um, an aerial performance, which is like the fabrics, you know, that hang from the ceiling that we do acrobatic tricks on. Ooh. So my talk is called Why a Grieving Psychologist Joins the Circus. Wow. Yeah. I want to see Bob on some kind of aerial thing. I think. Oh, yeah, we could get that done. I know. So, okay. So talk about it. So, so I've kind of looked over your background and your, and your bio and, and, you know, one thing that consistently comes up in our, with stories of founders and entrepreneurs is this journey of entrepreneurship. And, and it seems like there's always some type of disruption that happens somewhere in the journey that launches into new directions and pathways, kind of you discovering a new part of your superpowers that you can yeah. you can give to the world, and it sounds like you have that that has happened for you. Um, things were going along, and then there was you know you discovered at nineteen at a really young age, um, probably for most that burnout is a real thing, even though you were doing very meaningful work in Africa. Can you talk about that mm -hmm. a little bit? Yeah, sure. I um, you know, I think like many adventure-minded, empathetic people. I went on an adventure as a young person and I lived in West Africa for a year in Ghana. Um, and I did some really, really cool projects that included um, working with street kids who were living in the markets uh, in West Africa. Mm. And this project was wonderful, but of course it was kind of overwhelming in terms of the emotional intensity of the stories that I was exposed to as still quite a young person myself. And so it was my first experience of um, what in, in my field as a psychologist, we sometimes call compassion fatigue, or mm. it's sort of a cousin of burnout, which is where your capacity to care is spent and you mm. have no more cares to give or <laughs> no more fucks to give, as we sometimes say. Yeah. Right. But it, it happens in a really pretty significant kind of clinical and emotional way. And so, it, you know, it happened to me when I was 19 in the context of that work. And now it's really what I spend a lot of my time talking with entrepreneurs about. Mm. Well, so, so most young people's adventure does not include going to a third world country. It's they're going to backpack across Europe or do something like that. What led you there versus one of those other adventures? Um, one thing, I didn't have any money. So I needed mm. to go on my adventure on the dime. And it All turns right. out that you can get around West Africa pretty easily on not very much money. Uh, that was one of one of the factors. Okay. The other factor is that um, I grew up in this very evangelical church in this very mm. evangelical community. And so the only adventurers that I knew were people who'd gone on like mission trips to Africa. Yep. So I grew up hearing stories about Africa and, and just was very curious about the beauty and the land and the people and the animals and, you know, all of the things. And so I think I sort of got it in my head that Africa was the ultimate adventure. Mm, love that. Love so you that. spent, you spent a year there? I did. Yep. In Ghana. And then, I mean, what, what, what are some things that came out of that adventure for you other than a little bit of burnout? Yeah. A little bit of burnout. I mean, I think to go on a trip like that at that age, so it was sort of this year of between 19 and 20, I think it just really helped me see the world as a really big place. And it also helped me see that there are lots of ways to be happy. There are lots of ways mm -hmm. to do life. Like I would meet people who were working in the market, like selling spoons or selling scarves or whatever, but they were having these like playful exchanges with the people around them. And they would, you know, 
carry their babies on their hips and sort of banter with people. Like there was a lot of life there. Mm. And then I would go to the beach and meet these expats, like these old sort of Italian folks who were uh, creating pasta dishes from things that they grew in their garden. And, you know, they'd burnt out or retired or left or just had opted out of a traditional societal path and lived on a beach in Africa and made pasta for exchange students. And so I think it helps me as this very achievement oriented young woman recognize, oh, that's not the only path. I don't have to do that. I don't Mm. have to do all of the check boxes that I'd set out for myself. There are other ways to be happy and have a really meaningful life. Mm. Tell us about psychology. When did that become an interest for you? How early did that become an interest for you? knowing that was a path you wanted to go down? Yeah, I started talking about it midway through my first quarter of organic chemistry. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Organic chemistry is one of those like weed out classes for physicians. (laughs) And um, maybe that's why it's so important to me that a doctor is attached to my name in some way because (laughs) I, I was imagining that I would have a life as a medical doctor. Okay. And it just... It just didn't work with my brain at that time. And so psychology seemed like a way to be in a similar kind of caretaking, helping role uh, without doing organic chemistry. Uh, it's really, it was really the path. <laughs> was there something, any kind of an event in your family, relationships, environment that kind of like oh, I definitely need to lean into this. Like, was just something internal for you? Tell us a little bit about that. I think most people who go into psychology are in some ways bred to be psychologists. And so for me, um, I grew up with a mother who had multiple sclerosis. So she was wonderful, engaged, but very limited in her physical mobility. And so my role as the oldest daughter, I had two younger brothers, was a lot of caretaking and a lot of... um, sort of discerning what needed to be done and how to step in and ease a situation or provide help. So I was really indoctrinated into my identity as a, as a helper quite young. Okay. Um, and then I think, you know, later in my uh, adolescence, my dad experienced a very significant bout of depression mm. Um experienced, you know, it was involved in an incident that resulted in him going to jail for a short period of time. Mm. So coming from this like very religious evangelical community to now this world where my sort of basic assumptions about how the world works are sort of unraveled. Yeah, that's a really good sort of way to set yourself up to be a psychologist is a lot of emotional nuance and complexity. Well, yeah, we, we talk a lot about disruption on the show. It seems to be just a common theme. So um, as you kind of developed and went through school, um, I mean, did you find that you you definitely had a knack for it or is it something that you just kind of had to power through? A knack for disruption or psychology? Psychology. Yeah, I, um, it came easily to me. Okay. Um, I mean, one of the one of the strengths that I showed up with on the planet and then was cultivated in my life was an academic aptitude. So the ability to really remember what I read, to write well, to communicate effectively in those sort of academic domains. So well, that was cer- my- That certainly helps, doesn't it? It was helpful, right? It was like yeah. my ticket out of my house to <laughs> then get to college, to then get to graduate school and- um, so school was not really the struggle for me after I let go of organic chemistry. That is. Okay. So as you, so as you kind of got out of school, then um, did you go into like private practice? Did you work with a, in a clinic? Tell us about that. Yeah, I've done lots of different things. Um, so I trained to be an academician, which is like a researcher. Mm. So my um, training in as to become a psychologist was a little bit unique in that I I went to a seminary. So I have a master's degree in theology in addition to my PhD in psychology. And my curiosity was a lot around trauma, around what happens to people when they experience 
um, life shifting or in many cases, life threatening events and how do they put themselves back together? So most of my training practicum clinical experience was within the VA system. So I worked with a lot of recently returned uh, soldiers. Okay. And then I went on to do a postdoctoral fellowship at the National Center for PTSD in Boston, uh, where I worked with recently returned OEF, OIF veterans, so the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. Um, and my work there was to help think about how to prevent family violence in these folks who, you know, had been indoctrinated into violence in the context of their deployment and right. also had PTSD, which in many cases inhibits, you know, your ability to really be mindful and intentional with your actions when you're in an elevated state. Hmm. Wow. So pretty intense, interesting yeah. work. It seems like the, that particular conflict was kind of the first time that they really recognized that, that function in, in soldiers coming home. I mean, certainly the Vietnam vets coming home, they, it took them a long time to acknowledge that, but people coming from the Iraqi conflict, it was something that there was that they were kind of aware of and taken care of almost as it was happening. Like that's kind of the first time we heard in kind of the mainstream media public about PTSD and the effect that war had on, on soldiers for sure. Right. Yeah. And all of that learning though, came out of Vietnam. I mean, the, okay. the Vietnam conflict created such havoc in so many people that that's, really when the diagnosis was officially established was okay. after the Vietnam War. And then uh, where I did my postdoc, the National Center for PTSD, these are partnerships that were set up by U.S. Congress um, that are between a, a, a active research medical school and a VA hospital. And there are eight or nine centers around the country that have been responsible for the sort of understanding of PTSD in soldiers, as well as how to treat it, how to diagnose it, what to do about it. Mm. So all of those were set up, I think, in the early 80s following, you know, the experience of Vietnam veterans. Sherry, in your work, what did you find were denominators, if I can ask that question? Like, you're you're immersed in this, you have an interest in, in the trauma. Um, what were you seeing? What was new for you that maybe wasn't discovered in your clinical training? What did you discover as a practitioner in your conversations and your work with people? Mm-hmm. What was what was maybe something that was glaring and obvious that that you didn't even maybe expect? What was new for you? I think one of the things that I was really impacted by in my early training that's been a through line throughout my career is the, the centrality of the body in our mental health story. Mm-hmm. So especially in trauma and PTSD, it's not a visible bodily injury, but it exists in our body's neurochemistry so strongly. And so you can talk with someone and have this very sort of objective, rational, cognitive conversation where they're talking about what they think and how they feel. But then when they get in a triggering situation or when they get in that conflict with their partner or with their child, something happens in their body and it kind of overrides their mind. And I didn't, I don't know that I fully appreciated that in my training until I kept seeing it over and over in my, in my practical work. So was your work with just the, uh, the, the soldiers or were you working with families as well in that case? Different projects, but yeah, we did projects both with just the soldiers and then with the soldiers and their partners, couples together. So then what's, what, what has been the bridge? Obviously we're, we're entrepreneurs and we're talking to you and you are an entrepreneur. So I'd love to hear kind of what, what was the catalyst or the bridge between, you know, kind of a typical psychologist, clinical kind of path that most take to you kind of switching to doing something more entrepreneurial. Love to hear that. Yeah. So in some ways it's my husband's fault. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm married to a guy named Rob, who is a tech entrepreneur who started and sold several different companies. And we met in college. We got married very young. We've had one of these like very long and, and unfolding relationships, but um, 
when I was in the middle of this clinical training, largely with veterans that I'm talking about, um, he was really launching his first companies. And so many of the people that were in our living room in the evenings were his entrepreneur buddies. Mm. And many of them were really struggling. Uh, they were struggling with how much they're drinking. They were struggling in their relationships. They were just like generally kind of not well as humans and, but also like phenomenally interesting and successful and working really hard. And then, um, Aaron Schwartz died. I don't know if you know that name. He's one of the co-founders of Reddit and he mm. died in his early twenties. Um, he was sort of this brilliant young tech entrepreneur coming out of MIT who, um, was just a sort of extraordinary mind and he died by suicide. And it really, I think rocked my little world because I was already connected to so many of these like really young and talented thinkers and entrepreneurs, especially in the tech space. And then to see one who had so much to offer the world, not be able to maintain his mental health was quite a, a shift for me. Um, and so I started giving a few talks about entrepreneurship and mental health and mm -hmm. they did well and people were interested in, in them. And then, uh, you know, I started a podcast called Zen Founder that addressed some of the core issues that sort of challenge mental health and mental well-being for entrepreneurs. And then it's frankly just kind of evolved from there um, to be really my full-time passion and my full-time practice. So the question in everybody's mind, Sherry, is what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us <laughs> entrepreneurs? Right? Start with Bob. What's wrong with us? We're them? so good at disruption. <laughs> it's like, well, it, yeah, we're good at it. Maybe we sometimes we seek it and create it just, yeah. just to solve problems. But I think we're dancing with it. Yep. Mm. Okay. It creates us. We create it. We're not sure what to do if it's not happening. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. You had mentioned a background in, in evangelical, and I was part of something that church like for a while. And, and it's interesting. One of the observations after being out of it for so many years was this idea that need had to be created. They had to, mm -hmm. there had to be a justification for their roles. So there had to be mm -hmm. sinners for there to be saints. There had to be problems in order for them to be counseling. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an interesting dance. It is Bob and I were on a call with each other earlier, just kind of going over, you know, service offerings for our company and, and identify, you know, creating need to fulfill the need, um, you know, you have an answer. So therefore you're seeking a question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, what came first, the computer virus or the antivirus software, you know, what sure. that relationship, right. That polarity, um, do they call that wag the dog? Yeah, something like that, politics? right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I know you're enjoying our conversation with Sherry Walling today. Sherry's written a couple really cool books. Um, the first uh, book is called Keeping Your Shit Together. Um, the Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, How to Run Your Business Without Letting It Run You. What a great topic. Um, 4.7 rating on Amazon. Be sure to look that up. And then she's got an even higher rated book called Touching Two Worlds, A Guide for Finding Hope in Landscape of Loss. Um, Sherry talked a little bit about um, some of the loss that she's experienced in this interview and how that it, uh, and in her book, she kind of talks through some of those things and uh, some really great lessons in there. And Sherry's working on her third book, so we want to make sure to be connected with her. And the way to do that is go to sherrywalling.com, sherrywalling.com. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. So is, is there an interesting connection then between the work you did with, with the veterans and entrepreneurs? Is, is Do you see similar trauma patterns? Yeah, I maybe not exactly the same kind of trauma, but the same kind of human in a lot of ways, like mm. high-intensity, mission-driven, fairly fearless, quite open to risk. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, there's sort of like a hardcore element to folk who make a career out of the military and there's a discipline. And I see that sort of similar yeah. combination in a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, they're mm. audacious and they're again, disruptive, they're disruptors, but they also have within themselves something that helps them stay organized enough to implement 
and to follow through at least enough to get a business off the ground and rolling. Mm, okay. Okay. So does, does the trauma show up while they're in the midst of that company or are you seeing it more after maybe they sell it or exit the company? Is, is that kind of the, where, where the trauma shows up when they don't, when they're not in the day to day? You know, I think, um, so I will say that I do think the kind of trauma that I've seen with folks who've been in war is is really different from the stress of running on a company. So I just want to sort of make that clarification of course, of course, really yeah, to, to honor the folks they're getting yeah, shot yes, at. 100%, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yes. yeah, 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 yeah. No, no comparison. Um, yeah. But yeah. I do think that there are several archetypes that help lead people toward a path of entrepreneurship. And there's certainly a subset of entrepreneurs who have grown up with such chaos that they're comfortable in chaos. Mm -hmm. And that makes them very well qualified to be an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. they, are, they are really adept at bringing some kind of structure and meaning when there is none. And so I think there's one subset of entrepreneurs that sort of have a lot of early childhood trauma um, that kind of come to the work really well prepared in a way. Mm -hmm. um, the, the painful parts of entrepreneurship, though, I do think show up intermittently throughout the life of the entrepreneur. And you're alluding to, Bob, this sort of uh, fall apart that happens quite often when after people have an exit, when they sell their business yeah. or when they leave their business. And that's the next book that I'm working on is really thinking about the psychology of exits hmm. because it's one of these places where people are shocked, right? Yeah. Often, often an exit is a good thing, right? It's often the thing that you work toward as an entrepreneur to build a company that is um, sustainable enough to sell or to, to live without you. And when people have an exit, it's extraordinarily stressful, but it's also exciting. Right. But many people feel this kind of like, I don't know, like postpartum depression almost, like this drop in their loss. mental well being after an exit. Yeah. It reminds me of Shawshank Redemption, the movie, when they were getting out. And it's like, yeah. okay, you've been in prison, but you've gotten so used to it. And you're out in this and you're quote unquote free and you're in this new environment, how they set up those scenes between the two people that were leaving um, the primary character and the secondary um, was was amazing. And it sounds like that's what you're what you're working on. And, and Bob and I just with people we've interviewed and know through different circles there, we've had some some colleagues that have made tremendously lucrative exits out of their business and like you know the holy grail that we all are right. like hey you know can we can we do that can we please right. do that exit with 40 million dollars in the bank account and then they tell their stories and like i'm sitting in a starbucks for two weeks i'm miserable i don't know what to do yeah re re refreshing their bank account yeah about all they can right. do it's still they're, there yeah there, there's um, no more problems for them to solve that's mm, kind of the one yeah. thing that they talk about is you know, I was, I was needed every single day, every hour, every minute in my company. And now nobody needs me. Yeah. And that's, that's something that they, they all kind of talk about. Which it's, is a really interesting parallel to people who are returning from combat deployments. Sure. Where their Glad level you. of intensity and arousal made sense. Mm -hmm. And then they come back to civilian life and they're like, I'm useless here. Like I, mm. I don't have any where to put my expertise, my energy. Um, and I think post-exit entrepreneurs have that same sense of like, I'm, I'm useless here. I, I have spent all of this time cultivating the ability to grow something, to keep a company mm. healthy. And now here I am sitting in the Starbucks with nowhere to put all of that. Mm. So often people like roll into a new company right away, or, you know, it's, it's funny to see what people kind of do with that openness. Sure. I try to recommend that people pause for a while to take six months off and to sort of dive into some other part of their lives. Um, that's not always comfortable though, for people. Well, it sounds like a part of what we could call PTSD is, is withdrawal from a high intensity environment. You've got the, you've got the combat veteran. It was a very intense. We're talking life and death type of environment, yeah. holding yourself in there. And you've got a entrepreneur, not necessarily life and death, but maybe life and death of a company, sure. you know, much yeah. less the stakes scale, are high. but, but still a, 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 an environment of tension, an environment of yeah. 
you know, my movement, my decisions matter every minute of the day, kind of. And and right, ripple effects to ripple effects, staff, right. employees, customers. Oh, yeah. you, you have a lot of responsibilities. Yeah, you're and, carrying a heavy weight. And yeah. what your body learns to do is to function at this elevated level of arousal, mm -hmm. right? Your your systems are on, they're on the ready. They're yes. active and they're ready to respond. And when that is no longer required of you, uh, even on a physiological level, your body's like, what do I do now? Like, I don't operate in this slow motion mode. This isn't what I'm designed for. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you, Jerry. So in the context of entrepreneurs, where, you know, all the entrepreneurs we talk to, and Bob and I talk about this, is, is some kind of an exit at some point. But it's almost like our subconscious is, we're, we're actively working towards that. We're also resisting it. Mm -hmm. Because we we enjoy what we do, we 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 you know we we want to have that event perhaps, but we're also loving what we do. We're having fun, you know. We're this this is this is interesting work, and we meet interesting people, and we love doing that. Is there? It sounds like there's a dichotomy, and I'm wondering if you've explored that or or addressed that in in your company. Um, yeah. How do you prepare for? How do you get yourself ready for it? What, what what happens there? I'm just curious. It is it is a loss that you're preparing for. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe one of the closest experiences is launching a kiddo off to college or, you know, a kid that's moving out of your home, which I'm about to do. I have a kid graduating from high school in, um, in May and there's a lot of that bittersweetness, right? Mm -hmm. Like like, oh my God, get out of my house. I'm done with you. And yeah. also, oh my gosh, you're so great. Never leave. You know, it's, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah, emotionally yeah. erratic phase of development for both child and parent. Yeah. And I think a business is very similar. Like there are times when you're just like, I need to be done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And there are times where like, this is the best thing in my life. Like I can't imagine not doing this. And so the inevitability of a kid growing up and becoming an adult and hopefully leaving so they don't live in your basement is something we can emotionally prepare for. And the same goes for the exit of an entrepreneur. It's like, you, you do have to identify there are going to be losses. There will be days when you miss this. There will also be days when you're really grateful that you don't have to do it this way anymore. Mm -hmm. So the preparation for the exit, I think is really key in um, helping it to feel like a natural developmental progression instead of something that you're just losing. So Sherry, that. besides exits, what are other things you are working with your clients um, specifically on? What, what are some other areas of entrepreneurship um, are you helping them with? Oh man, all kinds of things. Um I work a lot with folks who are in high growth businesses. So they're moving really quickly. They're hiring really quickly. Sometimes they're firing really quickly. There's just a lot of like upheaval in their business life because they're growing so fast. And so my role is often to sort of help to provide a little bit of pause in their week where they can have some self-reflection, where they can take some inventory about what's working and what's not working. Um, I think my role in the lives of my clients is often to help them create a little bit of space to have some internal dialogue and to ask some self-reflective questions. And sometimes that's about business. Sometimes it's about their families. I mean, the, the life of an entrepreneur is pretty hard on a partner, can be hard on children as well. So to be like mindful and reflective about how that's um, taking shape. And then sometimes I help with co-founder conflicts or with, a, you know, an executive team that's not getting along very well. And we think creatively about how to make those relationships better. Mm. Yeah. And are you coming in just, I want to honor kind of your role. Are you coming in yeah. as a therapist? Are you coming in as a coach? How do you, how do you present yourself to your clients? Yeah, I'm billed as a coach because of the way that laws govern the practice of therapy across state lines in the U.S. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. um, and it is a different role. It's a much more proactive role. It's um, certainly less medicalized. That yeah. said, 
I've been a therapist for a very long time and I've done a lot of therapy training. And so I can't not think like a therapist. Okay. Um, so my clients are as likely to hear me talk about Jung as they are to hear me talk about, you know, something I read in Harvard Business Review. And I, I think that's, in my opinion, one of the, the sort of gifts of my work is I get to do both. Mm -hmm. Gives you some freedom to choose different modalities that would be yeah. helpful. Yeah. Hey everyone, I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. What a delightful person that Sherry is and just learning about how she's able to help people with PTSD and also seeing some similarities with entrepreneurs um, and getting and, and using disruption, uh, getting out of loops and circles in order to create a better experience for your life and for yourself. So one thing about Sherry is she is already leveraging the power of media to help um, attract the people that she can most help into her practice and into her company. And we wanna encourage you if, if not knowing where to begin, if knowing you need to use video and video media, and especially with the evolving technologies of AI and how that fits into all of these types of ways to amplify yourself, I want you to book a call with Bob and I. We've got some exciting things happening with Feed Stories. We've got some new packages and services that are coming out and they're specifically designed to help you leverage the most out of the media you can create in video. We're super excited to work with you. Go to feedstories.com and let's book a call together. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. Let's talk about that a minute. Let's talk about uh, psychedelics. So mushrooms just got legalized here in Denver and um, I'm a huge fan. It's been really useful for me the last few years. What's your thoughts, opinions on psychedelics or, or substances or whatever for, for the type of work you do? Yeah. So I've been aware of this work for probably 15 years. Um, much of the movement towards legalizing psychedelics as a form of mental health treatment has been focused on the role that MDMA plays in helping people who have PTSD. Mm. So that work has been happening um, from a research perspective for a long time. Um, and I've sort of been watching from the sidelines. I'll say that. Um, I did recently have the opportunity to train with MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary mm -hmm. Association for Psychedelic Studies, for any listeners who aren't familiar with it. And they are one of the entities that are really pushing forward a really high level of research to help um, make the case that psychedelics are a helpful mental health tool. So psychedelics are, of course, used in lots of different ways for, for fun and recreation, for sort of spiritual quest, for self-development. I'm most familiar with using them really as tools to help alleviate um, significant pain. So um, I'm a fan, and I say that without a lot of reservation. I think the research is really strong and clear and is been being done, and I don't know if you know that there are 88, at least 88 new um, centers of excellence related to psychedelic research or clinical care that are all established within medical schools within the US. So of course, oh, big names like Johns Hopkins, but Harvard, UC San Francisco, UCLA, like some of the best minds in mental health research are pouring into this topic. Oh, so I'm really excited because we haven't had great innovation in mm. mental health care in a very long time. And so we're quite overdue for something that provides relief to people who are suffering. Mm. I the, love the, to hear that. the stories from people who have PTSD, years of therapy, not working. And there are stories of using psychedelics in a professional environment and the healing they've gotten is remarkable. Yeah. Um, you know, even professional athletes who've had, you know, multiple brain injuries, things like mm -hmm. that, um, you know, violence issues in their home and things like that, talking about the role that's played to heal them and to help move past, you know, it's not just a masking, it's, it's an actual healing, a moving away. Um, yeah. you can't really deny the results that, that people are seeing from the use of this tool. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you know this part of my story, but I, I lost my own brother to suicide um, several years ago. And I think that watching his journey and his attempts at, um, he struggled with alcohol addiction 
Mm. Um, his attempts at getting clean and being in rehab and being in treatment and just going through this sort of marigold round of what is mental health care in the US, especially if you aren't well enough to hold a full-time job and therefore have private health insurance, uh, which is most people who are really struggling. Yeah. Um, so to watch him suffer so much and to work so hard at treatment that really wasn't shifting probably some of the neurological and biological basis of his addiction mm -hmm. um, was extraordinarily, of course, painful and, and traumatic yeah. for me and for my family. But then my own ability to access some of those resources for my healing um, has made such a difference for me. And of course, is one of the reasons that I um, am a big advocate for these substances being you know, accessible and, and legally used for folks who are, are wanting to pursue their own health. Mm. Now, if you, I, um, if you, go ahead, Brandon. Oh, I was going to mention my my own son went through about two years ago with um, alcoholism at a young age, teenager, after coming out of a, a difficult divorce situation, and was suicidal, and and I mm. uh, was introduced to to mushrooms by by someone two master's degrees in family counseling, and you know I'd never done them, and it was just um, the thing that. I noticed it's kind of funny. We have this theme, this idea of, of disruption. I think these tools that have been around for thousands of years, whether it be mushrooms or, or even the newer tools like MDMA and ketamine, they're a disruptor, right? We're, we're, we're in these loops of our thinking. We're in these, we're trapped in these loops and these patterns. And that's what I noticed as a, as a user and watching the effect on my son was he was stuck in these patterns, these loops, and he was able to kind of get shaken out of them and, and, and see something different and new, like here's a, you know, open the door and see a new room over there with, is that kind of consistent with, with what is a useful modality in helping people with their trauma? Yeah. I mean, there's a, a researcher named Robin Carthart Harris, who is really great at taking cool brain injuries or images, not injuries, images, pictures of um, people when they are under the influence of psychedelics. And you can really see these neurological shifts happening in the brain wow. where more, more centers of the brain are activated. And so one of the ways that, that researchers talk about this is, is to reset the default mode network, mm. this assumption that our brains are like, you know, there are neurons that connect to each other and some of those paths of connection get really well trodden, just like when you're walking through the grass in the same path all yeah. the time, there, a new trail develops. And what psychedelics seem to do is to reset those paths. So the brain becomes more flexible um, and it kind of brings us back to a place of more neutrality and malleability than we'd had before, which, uh, you know, I think is really fascinating, especially in a, tra a traumatized brain mm -hmm. where those pathways are super well developed or well trodden because the brain is really responsive to, to that kind of traumatic stress and, and needs to keep the, keep the body safe. And so like imprints immediately. Okay. Um, and so if we can undo that or soften those trails, mm. um, it creates all kinds of neuroplasticity or the ability for the brain to be flexible. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And especially with that. your brother, um, did, is that kind of one of the things you talk about in your, uh, your current book? Is that your first book? Uh, this is my second book. Yeah. So okay. my first book is called the entrepreneur's guide to keeping your shit together. Oh, um, awesome. my second book Love is it. called touching two worlds, which is, um, the story of, I, I lost my dad and my brother within six months of each other. So, oh, wow. um, I had this sort of deep dive into my own disruption and my own story of grief. And yeah, so psychedelics are one of the things that I talk about in the book. It's not a, a huge theme, but it's something that I've mentioned as something that's been helpful to me personally. Well, let's jump back to your first book. That's fascinating. So yeah. I love, I love the, I love the title. Like we just need to keep our shit together. Talk a little bit about what <laughs> what's what's in that book. What what would excite us to uh, pick that book up? It's a little bit of like mental health one hundred and one for entrepreneurs. Right. So there's like a nice like smattering of topics related to our own internal voices, how we cope with them, how we talk about them, how we deal with them. I certainly talk about things like burnout, what it is, how to avoid it, what to do if you think you have it. Um, we talk a little bit about, uh, relationships and, um, 
and entrepreneurship, what to sort of watch out for in your relationship with your partner. Um, and yeah, I covered it with my husband, Rob. And so there's a lot of like very practical, uh, tips and tactics that I think, um, you know, tend to provide a lot of value for folks. Well, your book seems to be impacting people, um, touching two worlds. It's got 4.9 stars on Amazon, nice. keeping your shit together, 4.7. So clearly you're, uh, you're tapping into something and people are resonating with. So congrats on that. That's a, that's Thank a you. huge monumental thing, Yeah. not only to create a book, um, which I know about, but also a yeah. book that actually touches people and, and creates impact. So congrats on that. that that's an amazing Thank thing you. to do that. Cool. Thanks. So now you're writing a third book. Uh, remind us what that is. It's about exits. Okay. It doesn't have All a right. title yet, but okay. it's okay. kind of my project for this year is to to really dive into the psychology of exits. Excellent. So what types of resources do you have available for, you know, we, you know, obviously you're working with clients one-on-one. -on -one. What do you do group stuff? Tell us a little bit about how you structure your, your practice, your business. Yeah. One of my other uh, big jobs for the beginning of this year is hiring a chief of staff because I need. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you know anyone who's ridiculously organized, send him my way. <laughs> um, so I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with entrepreneurs, and I actually really love that. I know yeah. it's probably not great from scaling a business perspective, but um, I find that it allows me to provide just a really, really high level of, of customized care for people who are running companies. Um, and I think they need that. Um, and then I do some retreats. I usually do two retreats a year. Um, one that's oriented towards couples, one that's for individuals. Um, I have another woman that works on my team who's really focused on entrepreneur families. Um, so she's really a lovely resource for people. Nice. And then we have some sort of top of the funnel stuff. I do lots of talks and write books and host a podcast. And so we want to get information that helps entrepreneurs out there and easily accessible, even if it doesn't work to work out or work with me directly. That's excellent. And that's, that's, that's the hustle we all have, right? Is, right? Uh, you know, we want so many, we want to help so many people and you, you're, you're Brandon and I are both high off the chart and pass. So, yeah, um, you're very similar to that. that. It's like, we want to help as many people as possible. So it's about how many people can, you know, how, how many can we reach? You know, it's the reason yeah. we do this yeah. podcast. We want to reach more yeah. people. We want to help more people. You're in the same boat. And a lot of people that listen to this show are in the same boat. Like they're awesome at what they do. They have this superpower and they want to use it as often as possible and help people. So, um, you're, you're amongst friends when it comes to the, uh, the, the challenge and the, uh, yeah. the joy of like getting your name out there, getting yourself mm -hmm. out there. So right, we're my, glad my coaching is. friends, my friends who are, you know, their coaching businesses are like, why are you doing group stuff? You could like yeah. scale so much. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, I do like to do groups. There's certainly a place for groups, but yeah. there's yeah. also a place for this sort of deep dive. So yeah. Yeah. If, if, yeah, from a, from a pure business standpoint, the group stuff is always preferred, right? It's all right. high leverage, high scale, but, uh, when us empaths get together, it's like, no, give me a good juicy one-on-one -on -one, yeah. right, totally. small yeah. group. Let, like, prolonged eye contact. Prolonged yes. Yeah. Yes. Eye gazing <laughs> on let's mushrooms. Just, let's just get MDMA. deep. Let's yeah. just get deep into so it. In. So. <laughs> cool. so in, oh, Sherry, well, I've got stories. Oh. Well, we we usually like to ask what's next. So you've kind of laid out what's next for you. So really the, the big thing we want you to do is we, we want you to like, just forget you're a doctor for a minute and we're going to give you the microphone and let you rant for a minute. Yes. Okay. Like oh, give us, give us rants. a minute, give us a minute of something that you just want to rant about. And it doesn't have to be business related, but it's something that you just want to get off your chest Nobody else is listening, but us three and a couple thousand people, you know, what, what do you want to, what do you want to rant about today? Man, I wish I'd like prepared for this. No, That's, no, it's the best. It's got to go like it be, be off the cuff. Long line at Starbucks. It could be the heated seats didn't work. It could be Minnesota winners. You just go with it, girl. You just do you. Yeah. I, you know, I think the, the easiest, most familiar rant that I can sing all day and all night is just to really think very differently about how we talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. And 
to understand the role of something like psychedelics, not because of the chemistry so much as that it helps to deepen the spirit. Mm. We get scared of that word of spirituality when it comes to, I think, certainly the business world, certainly the mental health world. But when we think about spirituality, we're just thinking about helping us be connected to something that's bigger than ourselves. And it doesn't have to be God. It doesn't have to be religion. It doesn't have to be dogma, but it can be something that's just expansive. And I think entrepreneurs in particular are really in need of that, that helps us feel small sometimes and helps us also feel connected. Um, so I think that's one of the ways that, um, that psychedelics are really helpful and interesting is because there's their spirit opening as much as their brain resetting. And, uh, I am really, yeah, I think we need to do that more and talk about it more and not be so afraid of, uh, spirit as a, a concept of our own well-being. Well, Sherry, before, I mean, Love before it. we hit record, you know, we were kind of sharing like all these groups that we're a part of and things like that. Mm-hmm. What Brandon and I experienced, and I don't know if it's similar with you, but in these groups, yes, we're certainly talking about business strategies, but more often than not, what actually gets talked about, and especially at dinner and at the bar, are spiritual things, deep matter, things that matter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Brandon and I have immersed ourselves in environments where that's just part of normal talk. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's as normal as talking about a scaling strategy or a marketing strategy. Um, We're spending as much, if not more time talking about the spiritual side of what we do, the mental side of what we do. Um, So from our standpoint, it seems like there's a shifting of the tides. Now, maybe not like in Silicon Valley. I don't know because I'm not in that world, but the worlds that we're a part of, it has become absolutely integral to ongoing conversations about maintaining, growing, and scaling a business. Mm-hmm. Are relate are things related to spiritual? So, mm-hmm. um, I think your rant is solid, um, and we're 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 a testament to the fact that it's it's just part of what we do, and it sounds like it's part of what you do every day as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I'm glad to hear it showing up in so many of your groups. Yeah. I think it is in the zeitgeist. It's in the water, um, mm-hmm. but we're still figuring out how to talk about it. Exactly. In, 100%. Ironically, I think the mental health community is like still uncomfortable. Like we're trying to figure it out. So, hmm. Hmm. well, we're entrepreneurs. We solve those problems. So we'll figure it out. Let's do it. We, we just figure it, out, it. So. We'll figure it out. Good. We love, we love Sherry. Um, if you could give us some uh, resources for our audience to learn more about you, obviously your books are on Amazon, but what, what are some websites or any place that uh, they could centrally go to get connected to Dr. Sherry? Yeah. Um, so I live online at sherrywalling.com. I also have an Instagram, which you're welcome to follow. Uh, apparently Instagram is like really important to getting a book deal. They, like just the number really? of followers. I know it's, it's a little bit sad actually. Um, but you know, I'm on Instagram and, uh, if you like circus, that's where you'll see most of my circus stuff. Um, my company is called Zen founder, Z E N founder. That's also the name of my podcast. Um, so those are wonderful free resources. And then my new book is called touching two worlds. And that has a website of that name, touching two worlds.com. So if people are interested in the grief part of my journey, then that is there. And my TED talk is called why a grieving psychologist joins the circus. So, and if you want to see Sherry do aerial acrobatics, that's where you go. That's where you go. Okay. How long have you been doing that Sherry, by the way? Like that's not, that's not like a common thing. No, um, five years. Oh, okay. I just had my five year anniversary. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. I mean, I'm 45, so (laughs) I started when I was 40, which is, um, it's awesome. Actually. I love everything about it. And I think, uh, those of us who become sort of serious athletes midway through our lives, we're a special kind of, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Sherry. <laughs> I started jujitsu five, six years ago. And like, what am I doing? I'm 54, 53. And uh, so, you're yeah. You're being awesome. That's what you're doing. You're That's, being thank awesome. you. Thank yeah. you. My wife and I picked up golf and are serious about it. Like, oh, and, cool. yeah, we're both in our 50s. So it's like, yeah, it's like we're, we're done with the raising of the kids and things like that. Now it's time to go like back to go play, go play, go play outside right? on it. Yeah. 
I joined a flying trapeze team, which um, is all, I think we're all women over 40, which is very unusual in flying trapeze, but it's super awesome. God. Well, cool. Well, we definitely got to, we we definitely got to see that. So follow, follow Sherry on Instagram, see your Ted talk. You're going to get to see Dr. Sherry flying through the air. It sounds like that's going to be awesome. Well, Sherry, thank you for taking uh, the time today and and sharing your story. It was really, really uh, amazing conversation. Thank you very much. What a great conversation. Thank you for your questions and what a treat to spend this hour with both of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.